Hello, my friends. Welcome to another Third Option Wisdom. This podcast is number five. I'm Joanne Lutz. And I think that this episode might be a little bit different from the others. I don't have any notes. And I can tell you that this episode has been the bane of my existence for the past several weeks. Here's what I mean by that. In my experience, I often get ideas or divine interventions or intuitive knowings, whatever you might want to call them. We'll call them bits of wisdom since this is third option wisdom. And in the beginning, they often would happen when I was in the shower. I referred to them as shower ideas. Sometimes they could happen at the beach. Sometimes they could happen driving in the car. Several weeks ago, I was meditating in the hot tub. And what came to me is the idea of talking about deep knowing what it is to have these hits of wisdom. And perhaps the next day, Rob and Kristen Bell dropped a podcast called Deep Knowing. (laughs) And I looked at my husband and said, you're not going to believe this, which I thought was hilarious. And clearly there was some part of me tuned in, but it was already happening. So I put that aside and I think in between I talked to you about the elegant exit. And when that podcast was complete, I sat and the idea of an episode about forgiveness came in. And so I let that one marinate for a couple of weeks, just hanging out with what stories are in my life that would be good illustrations of my understanding of forgiveness. And about five minutes before I sat down to have that conversation with you, another intuitive knowing came in and said, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, you can't go to that one yet. First, you have to talk about righteous anger. And that one just came right in. It was just one aspect of it after another. Didn't take me two weeks. It took me minutes. And I started that podcast. And 16 minutes in, my phone rang. Because I had forgotten to turn it on to airplane mode. So I grumbled a lot and I gave myself a few minute break. And then I 
checked in with myself. Was I still in a space to do this? Yes, I was back. I was ready to go. And I sat down and I recorded about 45 minutes of conversation about righteous anger. And when I went to listen to it afterwards, just to make sure it had come out okay and somewhat coherent, it had a background noise that sounded like those old fashioned newscasts over the radio. The evidently, I had not checked my microphone. I bought a new microphone just for this because my husband said that the old microphone I was using was not doing justice to the effort. So I bought a new microphone and I didn't check it again before using it when I started that 45 minutes of talking. And instead, the microphone that did pick up my conversation also picked up noises from the computer. And my options were to spend some money and a bunch of time, I'm not so tech savvy, a bunch of time figuring out how to eliminate that background noise so that I could deliver that podcast to you. And what I decided is that my time was best spent just going for it again. So I took another hour, a couple of days later, after having a break and licking my wounds. And I delivered another 49 minutes. And in the process of that 49 minutes, my husband came home and slammed the door. He went up and down the stairs, sounding like a herd of buffalo. The uh, heater, it's not actually the heater, it's uh, to heat the water, came barreling on and the window was open. And this time, not unlike the first time when I had forgotten to turn my phone onto airplane mode, this time I forgot to shut the window and I forgot to just give my husband a heads up that I was going to be recording and if he could just please be quiet when he got home. And then I just stopped and said, what is going on here? What is the message for me that I had planned to do one thing and then Robin Kristen did something of the same title and then I planned to do something else and it wasn't like an agenda that I had to do these things. It was simply what came in uh, 
the best I can call it is divine guidance. This is what you're meant to do next. Okay, I'm on it. So forgiveness was next and I was hanging out with that. And right before I was going to do that, righteous anger came in. And I tried again and again and again to offer that. Meanwhile, finding myself getting really angry. And so I just walked away from it and let myself wonder, what is it that is being asked of me? What is it that's needed more now than what I believed was needed now? And the way I felt my way into it is that all of those things I just talked about are still conversations, future conversations for us to have together. But that it matters that I take about three or four steps back and talk with you about one of the foundational pieces of the work that I do with people because it is so much of how I operate in my own life. And I have been doing that along the way when I talked about just right moments, when I talked about the sensations of the body, when I've talked about leaving something that doesn't fit so that there's space to grow into something more, when I talked about borrowing safety, all of the things we've talked about have all been real things that have been guiding my life, that are operating full-time in one way or another in my day-to-day -day life and in the work I do with people. And it seems that before I can get into some of the other topics that may have value and are certainly interesting to me to talk about. I need to share something a little more basic. And so this episode may turn out to be different from the other episodes because it may not be only personal stories about my life. I'm sure I won't be able to help myself but to throw in a story or two but it's going to include just some information. And I'm hoping you'll be willing to bear with me as I lay down a little bit of foundational information for you to be able to follow along with me in some future episodes. Because one of the things that I'm aware of is that in the work that I have done for myself and my own growth and in the work that I do with other people, there's a kind of jargon, there's a kind of insider language maybe that happens. And it's not intentional. It's not meant to be exclusive. It's not even necessarily 
unfamiliar in common conversation. And yet, because language is funny, I think it helps to be crystal clear about what I mean when I talk to you about things. And so that's a little bit of what this episode is going to be about. I've called this one the superhighway to self-trust, which is a very big theme in my work with clients. And it's a big theme in my work with other people because it was such a big theme and is still a big theme in my own personal development. So perhaps seven years ago, okay, by now you know, with me and the numbers, eh, I don't always know. In fact, after doing the last episode and talking about how much money I thought I had made or was going to make. My husband listened to it and said afterwards, you know, I don't think you ever actually made that much money doing that job, at least not based on what you told me way back when. And I said, uh, yeah, you're right. I think it might've been more like $900 instead of $9,000. But me and numbers. What can we say? All right. So let's pretend we're talking about seven years ago and I had been to a workshop led by Ianla Van Zandt and her God squad. And one of the members of the God squad is Laura Rawlings. And one of the evenings of this weekend workshop, I got up to say something or ask a question and Laura got up behind me because she was on the uh, peripheral as, as were many of the God Squad people, just kind of holding space, holding the container for all of the women who were at this workshop. It was called the Wonder Woman Workshop. And she got up and in her Southern drawl, which I will not even attempt to mimic, she said something to the effect of, y'all aren't taking any personal responsibility. And I looked over at her, noticed that she was a little bit scary, looked away from her, sat down and shut my mouth. Because at that point I had done a boatload of personal growth work. And this woman who doesn't know me is telling me that I'm not taking personal responsibility I think she was even a little bit more graphic, uh, but personal responsibility for my own shit, I think is what she said. And she was saying it as a whole group, not just me, 
but it happened to come immediately after I had spoken, I think as I was still standing. And so I thought, well, she's really scary and I'll just stay away from her, which I did for the remainder of that workshop. And then being a glutton for punishment, I went back to another Wonder Woman workshop, but this time it was a five-day workshop. So it was really a more in-depth version. Everyone is different, but this one was longer and more intense. And when the big group of about 50 or 60 women broke up into smaller groups, guess who my leader of that small group was the first time? Yes, of course, it was Scary Laura. And so we're sitting in this small group and she is asking me how I feel about something. I honestly don't remember what the content was, but she's asking me how I feel. And, you know, I had done the body thing, so I knew what feelings were. I went in and I said, well, I have a little trouble breathing. And I noticed that my stomach drops. And she said, yeah, that's not a feeling. And I just, what? What? Uh... Well, I'm also a little clammy as I think about this. Yeah, that's not a feeling. What do you, how do you feel? And I'm not sure I entirely got it when I sat there with her in that circle. I, it just didn't quite sink in what she was talking about. And she's very clear and direct. And still, my brain couldn't quite process. So at the end of those five days, different people within the God Squad offered business cards and uh, coaching links and website information and so on and so forth so that if anyone in the group believed they needed further support, there was an opportunity to have someone in the group support them. And at that point, the work that I had been doing with Preta had been very stale. And I had already done a 30-day creating the impossible online and phone workshop with Michael Neal. I had now done my second Wonder Woman gig. I had done some coaching with some other people that I knew. So I had been stretching and yet things were just stale for me. A couple of the friends, very close friends, who would often 
challenge me in some way or another. Those friendships were each going through some kind of chaotic experience that left me with no real resource. And I knew it was time for me to expand and I didn't know how to do it. So I ended up hiring Scary Laura. And I told her in our first conversation, because she does a little sort of like I do the test drive, which is a free 20 minute experience over the phone to see if there's any room for us to work together. She does something similar to that. And in those first maybe 15 minutes, she said, oh yeah, you've just got all your shit house broken. So you've still got shit, but you've just got it housebroken. Doesn't mean it doesn't still smell. It's just that it's on the newspaper. Okay, scary Laura continued to be scary. Definitely must be who I need to work with. So we started working together. And pretty quickly into our work together, as if my friendships and my relationship with my therapist and really every interpersonal relationship that I had and even in my work wasn't challenging enough. Also, there was a turbulent situation going on in my marriage. Things were just hard. And so Laura says, do you trust your husband? And I just paused and she said, okay, if your answer was not immediately yes, then on some level it's a no. And that's something to work with. And I said, well, here's the thing, what I know is that trust is always between me and me. So, you know, it's not about him, it's about me. And she said, oh yeah, you're a slippery one. You're right at that place, Joanne, where you know just a little too much, but not really enough. Because you think you've got it down, you think you understand and you're going to have to be willing to open up more to answers beyond what you've learned so far. Because yes, trust is an inside job. And if the person that you do not trust is behaving badly, then you can't take that part on. So it's both. We need to support you trusting yourself and to recognize what is yours to take care of and what is not your business. Oh. Whew. So we had more conversations. And another conversation went something like this. Okay, Joanne, how do you feel 
when that happens between you and Mark. I said, well, I feel like he's trying to just mix it up with me, that he's not listening and he just is trying to argue with me. And she said, okay, I hear you. And that's not a feeling. I said, okay. Well, I feel like there's no room for me to say anything. I feel like there's no space for me to engage in the conversation with him. There's no room for me. And she said, yeah, Joanne, I totally hear how hard that is. I'm with you. I get it. And that's still not a feeling. When you think he's mixing it up with you, when you believe there's no room for you in the conversation, how do you feel? And then I just started crying. And I said, I feel angry and afraid and so, so sad. She said, right there, that's where we start working. And for me, that was as intense and important as Preeta asking me so many years before, what's happening in your body, sweetie? It was another one of those paradigm shifting moments for me doesn't mean I got it right away, all the way, but it opened a doorway. And I have to tell you that after 20 plus years of therapy at that point, it was a real shocker to me to realize that I had managed to think my way out of a box. I had managed to become more than a floating head and find my way into my own body. And I still hadn't keyed into my own emotions. And I remember Laura saying at one point, and I've said this to so many of my clients because it just rang the gong deeply within me. Joanne, if you can't trust yourself to be with your feelings, how are you going to trust anyone else to be with them? Bam. And so over the years, I have done a tremendous amount of practice checking in with myself about what do I feel in this moment emotionally. Sometimes I begin with what I'm experiencing in my body first, I'll notice my sensations and that will lead me to the emotional information. That became an easier pathway for me since I learned about the body part first, about the sensational experience from all of those years of 
somatic work with Preta. And then I had to begin to discern, and Laura was a huge help with this, what were my thoughts and what were my emotions? And so she had given me some homework at one point that I have done a gazillion times myself and in turn have offered to my own clients, which is to just check in periodically during the course of a day and notice, how do I feel in this moment? So diligent student that I was, I would check in. And as I said, I would often notice the body part first because that was the base that I had and I would notice that my breath would be a little shallow and there'd be a little flutteriness in my chest and it was something akin to fear or anxiety and I'd say oh but wait I I have no reason to be afraid right now so that can't be it and I jot down uh, fear, no, not fear, uh, maybe a little anger. I, no, that's not right either. I couldn't quite pinpoint because whatever I was actually feeling, I would talk myself out of it. And I'll tell you that nine times out of 10, it was some version of fear that I was experiencing except that I was unwilling or unable at that time to accept that I was walking around with some sort of fear going on about 90% of the time and with no awareness of it. And so we came back to remember Joanne if you can't trust yourself to hang out with what you're feeling, how will you trust someone else with those feelings? Okay, so let's start again. So I notice that I'm feeling anxious. I notice that there's some fear. And the exercise was not to figure out why, the exercise was not to dismiss it, or to do anything about it, it was just to notice what was there. And then I move on. And then I think at some point, it's funny, I can't remember if Laura gave me this next step or if it's something that I developed over time. I'm, I, I can't give the attribution, it was one of the two of us. The work evolved from just noticing to noticing what I was feeling, what emotion was up for me, and if there's anything that I needed in that moment. And if I needed a hug, if I needed a few moments of silence, if I needed to scream, whatever I might need, just allow myself to have that. 
And then I'd move on and I'd go on with the rest of my day until the next time I checked in. And so I started offering this to some of my clients because I realized this was such a tremendous help for me. I mean, I had to work with it quite a while before I started offering it to other people. I had to really know it in myself. But here's what happened is that I would offer this homework to other people and they would come back and they would tell me what they were thinking or their sensations instead of their emotional feelings. And so I would attempt to help them sort through what was what. And I even pointed to some of those emojis, you know, to say, okay, is it happiness? Is it sadness? Is it anger? You know, maybe have a little visual cue. And that only went so far. And so I really sat with it and I meditated and I just opened to what are these emotions that I'm inviting people, if I gave them a cheat sheet, what would be on it? And I came up with seven feelings. Those feelings are anger, sadness, fear, joy, gratitude, love, and peace. So right now you have the cheat sheet that I didn't ever have and that people that I worked with long ago did not have. And under the umbrella of each of those seven feelings, we find a bunch of other words that may be more or less intense versions of those seven basic emotions. So for example, anger could be annoyed, it could be irritated, it could be outraged, it could be incensed. All of those words fall under the umbrella of anger. And they might be a low-grade kind of anger, or it could be a very high volume of anger. If we're talking about joy, we could be talking about hope, which is a kind of anticipatory joy, a, a sense of quiet joy for possibility without any agenda. Or we could be talking about 
happy, which is perhaps a medium version of joy. Or we could be ecstatic. Again, the volume goes way up on that kind of joy. So each of the seven has a myriad of other words that describe it. And feeling those feelings is the superhighway to self-trust. Becoming aware of what you are emotionally and sensationally, it's not one or the other, I think it's both. But having spent so many years working with the sensations and never having awakened to the emotions, it is that combination of feeling the feelings is the superhighway to self-trust. Now I have a friend who looks at me and goes, Joanne, that does not sound like a superhighway to me. That sounds like a painful, excruciating, nasty journey. I'm like, yeah, can be except it's still the fastest way I know how to get from not trusting myself and therefore not trusting anyone else and not knowing what I want and what I don't want and not having boundaries. The fastest way that I know to get to embracing the magic of the universe, to open to things that are bigger than what I can imagine in this moment is to start with being with what I feel. When I am willing to hang out on the ledge with myself, and feel whatever emotion is up for me. I become the kind of friend to myself that I might want in someone else or that I might want to be for someone else. I become the kind of friend to myself that is not trying to fix something, that is not attempting to dismiss whatever it is that I'm feeling. I become the kind of friend to myself that says, I hear you and I'm with you. I accept and love you feeling exactly whatever it is that you might feel in this moment. I am absolutely okay with where you are. And that's how I learned to trust me.
Now, in the course of this work, what I've discovered is that it can be even more helpful if I allow some form of expression of each of the emotions as they come. So here's what my practice became. I would set my phone and check in five times a day. So I'd, my alarm would go off, I'd check in. Okay, what do I feel right now? And whatever of the seven emotions I was feeling, I would allow myself a moment or two to express that. If I had more time, I'd give myself more time. But I'd give myself some time to express whatever was going on for me. So a bunch of years ago, I was preparing for my first solo trip to South Africa. It was going to be just me and I had found a program to volunteer at the Del Cheetah Center for two weeks and it meant that I would be staying at the facility. I'd be a volunteer with other people I didn't know, could be from anywhere in the country, any age. Well, actually, I think they could only be up to like 55, but uh, I would be working with the cheetahs and some other animals that resided at the, on the farm. It meant spending a lot of money. It meant going really far away from home to a country I'd never been to before, traveling completely alone. It meant living with people and I'm really introverted. So I had to hang out with a bunch of strangers and presumably make some small talk, and that is not my thing. I was also going to have the chance to go on a little safari with some of these same people to Kruger Park, which is a national park in South Africa. And at the end of my volunteer and Kruger time, I was going to venture off by myself to Cape Town for several days and have another experience there. So altogether, I was going to be gone for about three weeks and I'd never been away that long before. I'd certainly never been away that long before alone. And it meant I was spending a lot of money and doing a lot of new things. And let me tell you, the fear was off the charts. So what I started doing was every night, sometimes in the afternoon, depending upon what my work schedule was, 
I would sit at my kitchen counter and I would either have some music on or I might be listening to a book. But mostly what I would do is notice what I was feeling, notice the fear that was up in me and I would paint. I did watercolor after watercolor after watercolor after watercolor, just allowing the fear. And sometimes it would go from fear. If I painted fear, and I don't mean when I paint, it never looks like anything. It would just be whatever mess would come out onto the paper. And as I let the fear be expressed with those colors, with that liquid flowing through as though it, the fear were pouring through the brush onto the paper, allowing that to happen seemed to move the boulders in the river and allowed my own emotional state to get moving again. So I was not locked into fear. I wasn't stuck there. I might be having fear and joy. I might be having fear and sadness. I might have no fear and might move into gratitude or peace. It was a fascinating experience. And in the beginning, I didn't even fully realize what I was doing. I just kept doing it. I kept being called to have this kind of expression while my emotions were so bubbling in the fear space. And every night when I was done, I would be in a different emotional space. Usually some kind of peace or quiet joy or gratitude and probably even a kind of self-love, although I don't know that I understood that then. Because I had been taking care of myself in a truly powerful way. And so I began to learn noticing what I'm feeling is powerful, allowing some space for that is very nurturing. Giving expression to it in a way that is not verbal, is not talking about it, but some other form of expression is a deep act of love towards myself and allows the river of emotion to keep flowing because we're not meant to stay stuck in any one emotion. If you think about a time that you experienced intense joy, 
you may be able to recall that experience, but I'm guessing you haven't stayed there all this time. The same way if you recall a moment of intense anger or sadness, some sort of grief, in the moment it may have felt like it was always going to be that way because it was so dominant. It was nearly overwhelming. And I have no doubt you can recall that experience. And I also suspect that that has not remained true consistently day after day after day after day. Because naturally, our emotions are meant to flow. In the Tibetan elements, water is the element of emotion. It is about flow. And it's my experience that our motion, our emotions are meant to keep moving. I think about for several years, I went to school for and was an apprentice funeral director. And it meant I attended many services. But even in my own personal life, I've attended various visiting hours or funerals. And you know, there's that party that happens afterwards. And mostly I attempt to avoid that part because once again, it's social in a way that is not appealing to me. It is often small talk. But if you've ever been to one of those events, you might remember that throughout the course of that day, there might be a little nervousness about what you might say to someone that you love who just lost someone else. That would be under the umbrella of fear. And from there, your emotions may move to a kind of delight, hearing about this person that maybe you didn't even know that well but listening to someone else tell a story filled with love and charm and learning about this person who has died and it just strikes a chord of delight in you and that would be under the umbrella of joy. And then you go out to your car and you realize you can't find the mother freaking keys. And you just get really angry. And you're looking in your pockets, in your purse. You go back in to see if you left them where you had been sitting. You 
search the ground and angry, angry, angry. And then maybe you find the keys and you remember that the person who you've just lost was always the one to be able to find the keys. And a deep grief, which is under the umbrella of sadness, washes over you. And in allowing that grief in, allowing yourself to be with that, On the other side of that, there may be an experience of peace, a kind of calm. And then you may even experience just a kind of appreciation for having known that person, for having loved that person, for having been in their orbit. And that would come under the umbrella of gratitude. And all of this, all of these emotions can be experienced in a very short period of time. And that's completely normal. Our emotions are meant to flow like a river. And when we get stuck in one, when we find ourselves settling into the anger and we are attached to it or settling into the sadness and we are attached to it, even the joy, being attached to joy as though that's the only thing we're supposed to experience. just like a storm. Like here in New England, we have these really big storms, right? We can get a foot or more of snow. Not all the time, but it happens. Fortunately, not usually in June. And still it happens. Not in June, not in June. It doesn't happen in June, <laughs> but we get these big storms. And when a big storm happens, we prepare, we go out, we get the milk and the bread and the staples and, you know, we hunker down. But if we have to stay in for more than 48 hours, you know, when the heat goes out and the electricity goes out, and it means that we need to call in some help, right? We're calling the electric company. We're calling in the Red Cross. We're calling in somebody to get us some assistance. And it's the same if you get stuck in an emotional state. It means you need to call your version of the Red Cross or the electric company to say, I need a hand here because I am stuck. and allow a little support in getting the river 
flowing again because that's the natural state. You know, our bodies get stuck too. It's the reason that it matters that we drink a lot of water to allow energy and physical movement within our bodies because we're mostly water. That might tell you something about the importance of emotions. Our physicality is mostly water. Water is the element of the emotions. We keep it moving. And as it moves, we can find our rightful place within ourselves, our self-alignment. Because every time you allow yourself to truly feel whatever emotion and physical sensations are there, it is an act of love and that creates a relationship between you and you of self-trust. So I just want to say a little bit more about this expression piece because painting is just one way, right? I have done all the things I'm about to share with you and I have clients who have done the same. So sometimes we'll use painting as an example. I can paint my anger, my sadness, my fear, my gratitude, my peace, my joy, and my love. I can use painting for any one of those. And all of the next versions of expression I'm about to share with you can also be used for any of the seven emotions, regardless of their intensity. So I can dance whatever I'm feeling emotionally. I can sing whatever I'm feeling emotionally. I can have a tantrum for whatever I'm feeling emotionally. I mean, kicking, pounding, screaming. I can, even if it's of joy, it can be like a jumping up and down kind of tantrum of joy. And singing is not limited to joy, even if it's a happy song. You can do Old MacDonald Had a Farm from a place of sadness. The same way you can paint fear. You can do some other kind of body movement to express whatever emotion is there. So if you sort of imagine, if you check in with whatever you are 
experiencing emotionally right now, if that emotion had a physical movement in this moment, it, tomorrow it might be different, but in this moment, if you were going to express gratitude in your body, what motion would your body take on? What posture, what movement, what kind of looseness or stiffness would your body have? You can't do any of these things wrong. And every time you are willing to feel, honor, express what's there, you can color it, you can doodle it. You can yell and scream, or you can Um, just humming in a tone that aligns with whatever emotion is there for you. If you've never practiced this and it sounds completely absurd and ridiculous, I can't tell you how powerful it is. Here's one of the things that I've learned. When I allow myself to intensely feel any one of the emotions, very often what happens is that peace follows it. Now that's not always the case and that's not the case for everyone. But when I feel and express whatever I'm feeling, whatever emotion is present for me, as intensely as it really is, I don't just nail it in, I really go for it. I am often awash in an experience of calm, peace, ah, like a deep breath afterwards. I can think of two examples. Okay, I can think of more than two, but I'm going to take us back to South Africa. So I went the first time. And it turned out that all of those things I was afraid of, not one of those things was actually something I was afraid of once I got there. Everything just kind of naturally unfolded. And being a huge cat person, the one thing that I couldn't wait for, that I was so thrilled about, was that I was going to have some kind of an experience with cheetahs. I mean, come on people, this is amazing, right? And then I got there 
and the one thing that I was actually freaking terrified of was entering the enclosure of a cheetah. (sighs) Because they're still wild. It doesn't matter that they have this encampment that they live in and so forth. They are still wild. And they have that power of a look where you see the whole world. You, I saw God in the eyes of one of these cheetahs. I, I completely fell in love with Shaka. And Shaka was the one cheetah that I was absolutely not allowed to go into his enclosure. But I fell in love with him. But Raphael, who I was allowed to go in, I was terrified to go in by myself. When it was time to go feed him, I made sure that someone else would go with me day after day. And I would allow myself to really experience that fear. And then I would have this kind of a sense of relief after leaving Rafa eating that, okay, that was really intense and I faced the fear and just relief is probably a little bit more of a quiet joy it's like the joy that comes from fear ceasing so it's not quite peace And eventually I was able to go into his enclosure by myself, free of fear, because I kept stretching and stretching and stretching. That was part of the experiment for me. The entire trip was one kind of a stretch after another. And I thought that this was the trip of a lifetime. I was never going to be going to South Africa again. I needed to soak everything that I could out of this experience. And then the next year I went back. And when I went back the next year, there were many more volunteers this time. The first time I went, there were only two other volunteers. Now I think there were maybe seven other volunteers. It was a full house. And then there were also the staff people and so this one freezing cold nasty day we had done whatever we needed to take care of in the morning and it was just too bitterly cold to hang outside with the animals and so this one woman alicia suggested that we gather together in the dining room and play a game called Telestrations. And I guess there's an actual boxed game of this, but her version was that we think of something, some sort of a phrase or 
Uh, it could be a monkey riding a bicycle. And so I write down a monkey riding a bicycle and I pass it to the person next to me and that person draws a monkey riding a bicycle and then passes it to the next person who has to guess what it is without seeing what I had originally written. And it goes all the way around the circle and I think there were about a dozen of us playing this game. And some of the things that we came up with you know, it's that telephone game, right? Of how things change. And things were so hysterically funny that my cheeks hurt. My tear ducts were just, I was crying again and again from the absolutely absurd extraordinary joy I was feeling. And when it was over, I was so aware of this deep sense of peace. Because I didn't hold back any of my laughter. I didn't restrain how much I could express what I was feeling. I just let myself go for it. And peace is what came afterward. On this same trip, I got into an argument. Uh, that's not exactly accurate. I had an incident with the manager of the center, not the owner, but the manager of the center. And I got really angry at the disrespectful way that he treated me. And we had kind of become friends the year before. So his behavior and attitude were stunning to me and I let myself away from everyone else just get so angry I let myself full-on go for it and I had a little tantrum and I scribbled 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 not words just like if you can imagine with a pen in my fist just allowed myself to completely own my own anger and once I did again this extraordinary experience of peace came afterwards And because I followed the superhighway to self-trust for myself, it led me to the next steps, which include recognizing what I want and what I don't want, knowing what's okay and what's not okay with me, for me, 
which is the nature of boundary. And then opening up to the magic of the universe. Because when I know that I can trust myself, I remember that I am inherently safe. And from that place of inherent safety, I was able to have a very serious conversation with this man about his behavior and what was okay with me and what was not okay with me. And it shifted the dynamic for the rest of my time there. I think I'm going to leave it there. I want to thank you for being with me, my sweet trust tribe. Thanks for listening in as I just share this aspect of my work with you. And I invite you to consider stretching and trying on these things yourself. And know that even when you forget to believe in yourself, I believe in you. I believe in your ability to stretch and grow and manifest as all of who you truly are. And I send you my love and I look forward to our next time together. Be well. <laughs>